Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You cannot solve a problem by like Bud Light by just giving away Bud Light. Oh, sure, people can get wicked drunk and forget all about what you did, Bud Light. But in the end, they're going to wake up hungover and be like, I can't believe Bud Light did that. But how did the execs at Bud Light decide they were going to smooth things over with all of the distributors who are now losing out because people really does seem are not buying Bud Light? They sent everybody who works at the distribution houses, all the employees... A case of Bud Light. Couldn't couldn't make that up if I wanted to. That's that is just um that is very hold my beer type of property there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyCats.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. It is not the only thing going on. I've got a Senator Bernie Sanders who wants you to know uh, that the minimum wage should be $17 an hour. They were just doing the fight for 15 like 10 seconds ago, and now we're at 17. Why, why only 17? Well, 17 is a palatable number because the people who were at 15 are now at 20 and 25. Because the idea that there should be such a thing as the quote-unquote living wage, which isn't real. Oh, there is nobody in the sound of my voice who can prove that there's such a thing as the living wage. Do any economists, (laughs) you know, like amateur economists, People kind of do economies or or economist type stuff from their their mom's basement. See that they do economies. That's probably what they call in their mom's basement. They do economies. Anybody want to want to take me on on this? Eight three three four six eight eight six six nine. There's no such thing as a living wage. It's not real. But since they told you the living wage was fifteen dollars an hour, and they can't get anybody to buy in on the idea of twenty five dollars an an hour. Uh, we'll go to 17. We'll go to $17 an hour. It'll be totally fine. And then we'll creep it up to 19. And then we'll, we'll just keep going and keep going and keep going. Why not? We'll just see where we end up. When they told you we had to have $15 an hour, the fight for 15, you knew they were lying, right? You knew that they were frauds. And when Bernie Sanders comes to outside uh, uh, of his uh, office there and, and he's got uh, the people behind him um, with, with the posters, the, the posters are fists and they're cartoon fists and it says, protect us, respect us, pay us. Well, I'm sold. There is nothing better than a good slogan for Bernie Sanders. And, I mean, he talks the way he talks. Holtz, the president of the Economic Policy Institute, for being with us uh, this morning. I'm not sure how many people she represents, but she's a good economist. Uh, let me thank the workers who are here this morning, Tara Thompson, Elsa Cecilia Galvin, and Mama Cookie Bradley. Honestly, I also would thank any woman named Cookie. That's... That's always good politics 101. You see somebody on your list named Cookie, you go out of your way to say thank you. 
Americans doing the right thing and raising their minimum wage. In November of last year, nearly 60% of the people in Nebraska, Nebraska is not generally known as one of the most progressive states in this country, 60% of the people there, a state with a Republican governor and two Republican senators, voted to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. And I thank the people of Nebraska. But it tells you that this is not a red issue, not a blue issue. It's an American issue. Wrong. It's a lack of economic understanding issue. It's a total failure to understand the issue at play. And the issue at play, of course, is that the minimum wage hurts the people who are trying to get jobs. The people who push for a minimum wage and a larger minimum wage hate the people who are looking for the job. I mean hate. Bernie Sanders is not a friend of the working class. Bernie Sanders hates the working class. Bernie Sanders hates people who might be trying to get that first job and engage those first skills. How do I know this? He wants a $17 an hour minimum wage. He believes in the minimum wage to begin with. That's right. I don't. Milton Friedman said it better than I did. But what he did is put forth an idea. Now the idea may not have been his, but what Milton Friedman's genius was is that he was able to better explain things than others. Very, very disarming was the economist Milton Friedman. And what he stated with, and he was having the conversation at the time, I think this was the 70s, regarding black Americans. But, but extrapolate it out because it's not specific to black Americans. If someone comes to me for a job, and I am told by my government that I have to pay $15 an hour, the person's a really good person. Got a lot on the ball, but you know what they don't know? They don't know how to make the widget that I make in my business. They don't know anything about the widgets I make in my business. They're a good person. They could learn, but I need somebody who can do the job today. And so if I'm going to have to go about teaching somebody how to do this, and it's going to take six to eight to ten months to really teach them, well, that's not worth the $15 an hour. i got to keep looking. I can't hire this person, even though this person's really on the ball. The person who's looking for a job really wants to know how to make those widgets because if they can learn how to make those widgets, they can make those widgets better than anybody can make widgets. And if they can make those widgets better than anybody who makes widgets, maybe they'll get some advancement opportunities and then they'll really learn the widget business and from there they can go on to this other job that they saw over here and if they give themselves three years, they can do it. But what they have to do is get their foot in the door here. In both situations, the employer and the potential employee are prevented from negotiating in their best interest because of government interference via the minimum wage. The employee is told, we decided your worth. Well, if I can't get the job, it doesn't matter. I have to be able, as the employee, to decide my worth. I have to be the one who decides what it is I get paid and how I get paid. I'm willing to put in the effort I'm willing to take less in order to learn the skills to eventually make more. That's an investment in myself and in my future. As the employer, I should be able to say, look, you don't have the skills. But if you'll work with me, I'll work with you. Based on your skill set, I can only afford to pay you $8 an hour. You show up every day for three months. You work your butt off. You show me you can do this. We will move it up. 
And when that time comes, six months, eight months, ten months, where you should be fully trained, boom, there you will be at the number. But I'm taking, I'm putting the, the, the risk out there that you're going to show up every day, do all these things. I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm willing to take the chance on you. The government, the Bernie Sanders of the world, these no-good do-gooders who pretend to care about you, who pretend to be for the working class while railing against anybody who owns a business, doesn't believe that you should be able to negotiate in your best interest and doesn't believe that an employer should have the opportunity to give an employee a shot. He believes a man who has never built anything in his entire life, a man who has never signed the front of a paycheck, he believes he should be able to dictate to you what it is you pay and how it is you negotiate because somehow he knows better. Dear Lord, these commies are just tops, ain't they? So when we go on the road with the one-man show, it's okay to be angry about Bernie Sanders, which is right now in pre-production. I'm doing the show. We're already looking at theaters. I have already secured sponsors. Guys, I'm doing this. He wrote a book. He wrote a book called It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. So I'm doing a show. It's okay to be angry about Bernie Sanders. I'm telling you, it's going to be a knockout. And I guarantee you, I will share this story. You will never look at the minimum wage again. And the people of Nebraska, those Republicans, should have looked at it this way too. $15 an hour minimum wage. Let the market decide. Not government fools who don't know anything about your business anyway and sure as hell should not be in the business of telling you how to negotiate. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. I will say this, Kurt, um, everybody's hypocritical, and it turns out you don't even have to have TikTok. They might be getting your info anyway. Oh, it's kind of incredible with this one. So, yes, uh, President Biden wants TikTok to be banned in the U.S. unless China agrees to divest of its ownership in it for national security concerns, obviously. Uh, And despite the fact that he is appearing with pop stars on TikTok that were filmed in in the White House, Now deeper concerns about TikTok tracking data, even if you've never downloaded the TikTok app. Tracking pixels have been reported on airline sites, e-commerce sites. Pixels are invisible to you and me, but very powerful data tracking tools for the Chinese-owned social network. Now, I didn't even know that that was playing. I was just looking at some websites. All of a sudden, they started talking about that. I had had it live. Uh, But it was a great reminder that, dear Lord, anybody who trusts, trusts TikTok is out of their minds. And so when you bring up this Biden conversation, it's very clear and very obvious that not only is, is, is he trusting, he wants to utilize those social media influencers as a way of winning re-election. Because the social media influencers don't question anything. They regurgitate everything. And they think... Worst of all, that they know everything. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-468-8669. There is a guy, Harry Sisson. Do you know who I'm talking about, Kylan? Not at all. You're a you're a Gen Zer. You're full of Gen Zness. 
not sissy sissness sisson sisson harry sisson nope he's a he's a student at nyu like pre-law he's popular i guess i i guess and he does these videos where he's basically screaming into the into the camera um he's like david hogg but without the charm is that is that wrong is that too soon can i get a can i get a ruling on that and he's like, you don't understand Gen Z, and we're not going to put up with your stuff, and we're going to save this country. There's nothing worse than somebody who's 20 or 21 or 22 thinking that they know everything. Could you please stop embarrassing yourself? And could we please stop saying, well, you know, the younger generation needs to lead here? No, they need to learn how to lead. That's all. They need to learn how to lead. Why not Why not respect them enough to be honest with them? It's like when they go to colleges and they make demands and all of a sudden professors are like, yes, we have to live up to these demands. You're the professor. You've got tenure. Tell them to shut their mouths. How about looking at admissions and saying, you let this into this school? I don't want to teach this loser. Bye. Go back to Berkeley. What I wouldn't give for some honesty in that way speaking of honesty um the more you look at it uh the ukraine wasn't engaged in this drone strike on the kremlin that's not the way it it went down this was actually a conversation on msnbc on morning joe with senator gary peters of of michigan Senator, I listen. I, I'm, you know, because I'm a Congress You're guy. You go too. to seniority. I'm a mediocre yeah. former congressman. That's yeah. who I am. I Think about what you could have been with a good. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. If, if I had only gone to an Ivy League school like Ted Cruz right. or Josh Hawley yeah. or any number of people who wanted to overthrow America's government, yeah. America's democracy. But just a reminder. Joe Scarborough used to lead the morning show that all the intellectuals watched. This was the show. This is what he's been freaking reduced to. This is how embarrassing Joe Scarborough is, but it's not for him that we listen. But anyway, we really want to talk to Julie about Russia. Yeah. But we really do think we should defer to a sitting senator first. So we're yes. going to go to you first um, and, and, and just ask about the attack yesterday, the alleged attack. Uh, what, what, what's your best uh, information? What have you got? What have you heard? Yeah, I, what I've heard uh, that uh, the Russians are fabricating. It's probably a false flag kind of operation mm-hmm. uh, where they're just uh, they, they love misinformation. They love to stoke up things. And uh, we don't at least right now. I'm not aware of any evidence as to who may have been responsible or if it even occurred. Now, he may be on the political left, but accurate is accurate. The Russians lie about everything. Everything. So it is. it should be first to say, okay, I don't know if I believe this, but show me whatever data that you have. The data was in short supply and, and long in, in the coming, meaning it took a while for so-called video evidence to get out there. As I, I reached out to a couple people who have more knowledge on these things than I do, and the, the response was the same. There's so much manipulation from Moscow, 
and the media, it's hard to know what to consider factual or approaching factual. Uh, but they also noted there's it's not just Moscow, it's also Kiev. Remember that Ukraine is in the middle of a war. They will do whatever they need to in order to keep people on their side, if you will, get them motivated. So when we look at, at, at war in general, we understand we're in a propaganda fight. We understand we are 100% in a propaganda fight. And part of the propaganda fight is trying to be seen as the oppressed, trying to be seen as um, the one who is, uh, you know, uh, the underdog. Look at how they attack us. Look at these animals. Look at who they are. And then you had the Russians saying that, well, we are pretty sure that the Americans had something to do with this John Kirby reacting. What that says about our current political moment. So on the first question, uh, we still don't really know what happened. Um, so we're, we're not making an assessment right now. I did see comments from uh, Dmitry Peskov this morning, uh, Putin's uh, flack and claiming that we had something to do with it. Washington, I can assure you that there was no involvement by the United States in this. Whatever it was, it didn't involve us. You're saying we didn't buy a drone from Radio Shack and no. launch it like three, uh, yeah, 30 the minutes away? Basically, yeah, basically. We don't do radio. We, we don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, and we had no. Uh, turns out there is actually a Radio Shack still in existence. I had some people check. I, I don't know if it's the original Radio Shack, but the original Radio Shack, the Radio Shack we all know and love, uh, that mostly closed in 2006. So again, Joe Scarborough used to run the most intellectual morning show on TV. Now is making Radio Shack references. That's. That's where that show has come to. I guess that's what ha- is that what happens when you phone it in? I've never phoned it in, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what that's like. But is is that what you get when you're like, eh? Basically, Joe Scarborough has become the Tony Romo of talk, uh, talk t- TV news. Just, just sad and pathetic. I should I should do my whole morning show as 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 a video with the guests like that. If we can make Scarborough money, I'd be in. If we can make Scarborough money, I'll wake up early enough to brush my hair properly. I do get dressed. I do get dressed for my morning show. I mean, pants are on. Just so we're clear, shirts on. I just I don't I don't always do that. I don't always do the hair. Sometimes it's a little devil may care. No, I don't think the United States played a part in any droning on the Kremlin. I think it would have been a huge, huge mistake. The United States is playing a part in putting another $300 million into the coffers of Ukraine. That's happening. And you know it's not done. You know there's going to be more money. You know that more is going to get thrown at this thing. And you're like, dear Lord, when does it end? When does it end? And the answer is not for a while. Not for a while. And if we are to believe that there is going to be this this um, spring offensive that's going to work, well, we're going to get told in order to make it work, we got to pay X, Y, and Z. They need A, B, and C. But we also hear from uh, the U.S. military that uh, Ukraine's got everything well in hand. They got it all together. All right. You say so. Meanwhile, 
There's a fascinating story out of the Washington Times about how crazy Arizona is, which led to a question about 2024. Should Republicans even bother campaigning in the state? That story's coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I came across this article in the Washington Times that talked about how kooky Arizona politics is getting. And I'm like, getting? How kooky it's getting? What have what have we not been paying attention to if we're saying that Arizona politics are only getting kooky? And then I started thinking about the fact that it is weird. You have the whole 2020 debacle where Trump said the election was stolen, and certainly that did not come to be, but there were issues in Arizona. And then you had the election. Uh, Mark Kelly gets to be uh, senator again. You have... Carrie Lake losing to Katie Hobbs for governor. Katie Hobbs is is terrible. I mean, bad as bad can be. And the people of Arizona must know it. It is a weird place, but if you take a look at it on paper, Democrats keep pulling it out. So does that mean that Republicans should somehow ignore it going forward? I mean, should you run in 2024 and quite literally give up the ghost? If you're the Republican Party, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. And I caught up with John Gabriel. He writes for the Arizona Republic. He's the host of the King of Stuff podcast, and he's the editor-in-chief over at Ricochet.com. He lives in Arizona, lives and breathes the political scene there along with the coffee scene there. And I I, I caught up with him earlier, so it, it I wasn't even in my normal studio. So if it sounds a little bit off, eh, I, I, I did the best I could, I promise. But caught up with him about this whole concept about what's going on in in uh, Arizona and really a question of what's possible. And, you know, th- there was this piece right there from, from the Washington Times. The race for cinema Senate seat stirs up land of the weird in politics. Isn't Arizona the land of the weird when it comes to politics, when you take a look at the whole country? Well, I've never looked at uh, the term weird as an insult, so I have to <laughs> I have to agree. Uh, I've lived here since I was a little kid. We moved out here uh, from the Midwest, like, I don't know, probably three quarters of the people who live in Arizona um, all kind of hail originally from the Midwest. And yeah, it is an odd place, uh, but uh, in a lot, in a big way, that's why I love it here. Um, it's an attitude of, uh, just kind of defiance and love being, uh, the people here love being inscrutable to outsiders, um, as well as insiders like myself sometimes. The, the idea that uh, it's it, it's weird. You like the weird, and the people uh, there. Do, do all people of Arizona? I mean, I'm not a guy from Arizona. I did go to Arizona State, Sun Devils, and that's the only way that it is. Know that Tucson. Um, <laughs> It, do, do they all see themselves that way? You know, you, you, you go back to the whole late Senator John McCain Maverick conversation. Is that mm-hmm. how everybody in Arizona wants to see their politics? 
I don't think everybody, but there's always been the strong uh, defiant streak. Um, I always try to tell a lot of people trying to explain it here. We're not liberal. We are not conservative. We're contrarian. That's kind of the key to understanding Arizona. And uh, we're very happy with uh, tweaking the nose of any kind of outsiders, D.C. types and the like. Uh, but we'll tweak that nose even as we cut the nose off our own face sometimes. Um, it's not always wise. Um, you know, seeing Senator McCain lauded one week and reviled the next, that was kind of most of his career. Now we have a maverick senator uh, in Christian cinema. But before either of them, you had Barry Goldwater, who also just flummoxed people in general. Um, there's kind of this defiant streak where you're very eager to be um, not seen as taking orders from party bosses, from leading politicians from Wall Street, you name it, um, always wanting to be the outsider, uh, sticking it to the man, as it were. And it's crazy because sometimes it's kind of fun. Other times, um, even most of the people here are like, oh, my gosh, would you just vote normally? Act like a normal human being for once. So, I mean, let, let, let's talk voting normally. And, and before we get into the Carrie Lake stuff and, and what we think we're going to see in 24, you, you talk about Senator, someone like Senator Cinema, who, when she was running, the conversation was this was a woman who was on the side of the communists, uh, the propaganda that she was uh, pumping out there. Then she gets to the Senate and you find out that while I, she votes for things that I clearly do not like, she's actually willing to slow the whole process down to make sure that she's getting listened to and that she's listening uh, to others. That is considered amongst Arizona standards as, yeah, that's exactly what we want, but I don't know whether or not on Arizona standards that her policies match up to the politics of the state. Yeah, I think uh, she's a lot more in line with the people who are would always vote for a GOP issue or always vote for a Democratic issue. There just is this weird thing, kind of like uh, John McCain. Um, if, if you go back, it, it, John McCain would vote no on a conservative bill, but it would be completely random, you know, it, Six days a week, he would have voted yes, and one day he woke up wrong, and he just decided to vote no and say, hey, look at me, I'm a maverick. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't tell where I'm going. Um, so there is this kind of weird uh, attitude of just wanting to be a little inscrutable, wanting to be a thorn in the side. Look, everybody's on daylight savings time because, hey, now we all know which time zone we're in. Not Arizona, you know, back when it was decided, I don't know, Barry Goldwater was just like at the back of a Congress, I don't know, flipping the bird to uh, the House or somebody and saying, no, 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 I don't want to. Yeah, but everybody's doing it. Yeah, no, we're, <laughs> we're going to be in our own time zones. So we're kind of like the Langoliers here. We're kind of a half hour ahead or behind all of our neighbors. So um, it, it is kind of hard to figure out. It is kind of inscrutable, but it is a state where the largest party in the next year or two will be, well, party, quote unquote, but will be independent. Um, it's about one third independent, one third Democrat, one third Republican. Pumpkins are slightly in the lead now, but independent is going up every year. Let's uh, let's take it a little step further. Talking to John Gabriel of Ricochet.com, uh, the King of Stuff podcast and a contributor over there at the Arizona Re Republic. Now that that gubernatorial race is done. 
You've got Governor Katie Hobbs, a woman who doesn't believe that you should be able to sell a tamale on a street corner, literally vetoed the legislation that would allow families to go about making some extra scratch. And she won't answer a question. Does her first couple of months in office, Katie Hobbs, does it make people say, oh, well, you, you get what you voted for? Does it make people say, you know what, maybe there was a real problem with this election and Carrie Lake was right? Or are people just like, that's the way it is. Let's go have lunch. Like, do, yeah. is, is there is there a real visceral response to what Katie Hobbs as governor has been? Yeah, I don't think it's visceral yet. I think people are like, OK, the election's over, you know, the honeymoon period, give her a chance. But everybody's confused and her supporters are very confused and frustrated, you know, talking to pretty diehard Democrats who are just like, oh, my gosh, there's no way Carrie Lake can win. We need Katie Hobbs. She's our she's our gal. She's going to be great. Those people are like, what on earth is this person doing? But this is the way she has always been. This is the way Katie Hobbs has always been. So for anybody to be surprised at this outcome, She's kind of a mid-level government functionary who now is running our state, doesn't exactly know what she's doing, um, doing things like, yeah, this goofy tamale bill where these little abuelitas are in their back room making a couple tamales so they can make some bucks. So they'll, I don't know, have money to buy Christmas presents for their grandkids. And uh, she's like, no, we need to tax these people. We need to be, <laughs> we, we need to make sure to put the yeah, Buddha she- government on their necks. Every, every Everybody, both parties were like, is this person crazy? What is she doing? Yeah, she tried to make it a public safety conversation. We don't know if the food is safe. If you're stopping at a roadside place for a tamale, you know the possible risks, and you said, screw it, it's uh, I'm in. It's like being in Wisconsin and stopping on the side of the road for a bratwurst. You know what's <laughs> possible. You know how much time you're going to spend in a bathroom. And you're like, screw it. I'm totally going to do this because it's delicious. Yeah, it's the guy who uh, walks in at 3 a.m. to the 7-Eleven and sees that last hot dog spinning on those rollers. And he's like, you know what? You know, my time's going to come eventually. It might might be right now, but it's worth it. Talking to John Gabriel of Ricochet.com and the King of Stuff podcast. All of this, you know, in this, this article from The Washington Times and others, is really this this kind of it, it sets up the question about is Arizona and its electoral votes even worth it for the Republicans in 2024? So there's, and and once you start asking that, you got to ask it the other way. As you see it, can Republicans take 2024 with, I mean, you could say with Trump or with DeSantis, but let's maybe a little more in general. Can the Republicans do it? And with the election victories Democrats have had, go the other way with the question, are Democrats going to take Arizona for granted? Um, I think they are getting completely overconfident, the Democrats that are in Arizona, which is bizarre because all the elections have been very close. Carrie Lake lost by, what, 1% of the vote or something very close. It is still a tightly contested state. I would say for both parties, if they want to win, they really got to focus on the suburban vote. That is just huge here in Arizona. Florida, you have the retirees or you have recent immigrants who recently became citizens. Arizona is a very suburban kind of place. You know, you might live in Phoenix, but Phoenix has probably more land area than any city um, in the country, even if we might not be the largest in population. Very spread out. 
everybody has their little plot of land, their lawn, whether there's rocks in it or actually grass. Um, so I, I think you really need to contend with those bread and butter issues if you want to win people over instead of kind of the hardcore ideology. Um, just say, hey, the, the economy is horrible. Biden no, doesn't know what uh, he's doing. Katie Hobbs doesn't know what she's doing. Uh, maybe we should uh, give the GOP a try. So I think it's very much uh, going to be contested. But any candidate who wants to win there, they got to get out there and retail it, knock doors. Uh, that's how you win this place. How much is the border a mover for the Arizona voter, because I, I would take a look at that gubernatorial race and say, if it really was, nobody votes for Katie Hobbs. If the, if the if protection on the border is a real mover, is it? And is that is the Hobbs Lake election nothing more than an enigma that should be really put to the side? Yeah, uh, Lake Hobbs was a very odd race, and uh, I, I was thinking Lake would have had enough to pull it off, but you came up uh, 1% short, like I said. Um, I think the border, um, it works a lot uh, when we're talking about more southern Arizona, Tucson, Yuma, uh, towns like that, but over half the state's population is in Phoenix and the surrounding era, area, which is Maricopa County. And here, people are kind of iffy about it. I, I think part of the reason on the border is we've had um, about 15 years of governors who are very aggressive on the on the border issues and pushing back on the federal government and uh, taking matters in their own hands when they had to. And so I think people are like, well, we can give Democrats a chance. We've had Republican leadership here on the executive level for a long time. Um, how bad could the Democrats be was kind of the attitude. Well, they're going to see that right now. And even Katie Hobbs, as incompetent as she is, she ran. One of her issues was, I'm going to stop the evil practices of Doug Ducey, the former governor, who was busing migrants out of state. Well, within a month of her becoming governor, she says, hey, um, instead of just using buses, I'm going to be flying migrants out, too. So <laughs> I think even she is looking at this and saying, OK, this is crazy. We, we can't be doing this. And of course, the Democrats didn't have any kind of problem with it. I'm like, OK, well, if a Democrat's willing to do that, uh, good for her. Keep doing keep being tough on the border. But she just does it with a smiling face. She knows it'll destroy her and her party if she doesn't talk tough on the issue. So if you're advising uh, the, the Republican Party, you're like, Arizona, up for grabs. Come grab it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I would really focus on just the basic stuff. Uh, inflation, the border. Um, you know, we, we don't need to uh, be overly aggressive on it. People naturally understand, including Democrats, including the Latino vote out here. Everybody knows that the border is a mess. And, um, you know, you don't need dramatics. You just show the footage of what's going on down there. Focus on the economy. Uh, you have a lot of younger families here. You have couples who had just had one, maybe a second child. They were living in California. They were living in other states and were like, oh, we got to get out of this craziness. Hey, what's going on in Arizona? So you do have these people coming from other states, maybe Chicago Another uh, a lot of people from Chicago live here, Indianapolis, the Midwest in general, who just kind of had enough with crime, had enough with high taxes, moved out here. So they have conservative instincts. But 
They're not looking to ideology. I always think kind of more philosophically and big pictures. Look, they just want the inflation to be fixed. Uh, They want their dollar to go a little farther. They don't want to spend an arm and a leg at the gas pump. I think any Republican focusing on those issues can win and win handily. My thanks to John Gabriel over there at ricochet.com, the King of Stuff podcast as well. You can find his work at the Arizona Republic if you're so inclined. Everything, of course, is up for grabs because no election determines what comes down the road. Sure, you could say that California is lost. You could say that New York is lost. You could say that Illinois is lost. There are truisms in in that way. Arizona is not lost. Losing doesn't mean lost. You got to really take a look at the numbers. Not what some talking head is saying top line, but what's really happening all across the board. And what's happening across the board is that Arizona is 1,000%, 1,000% in play. With, without question, it's in play. And Republicans should make their voices heard. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.